Welcome to Revere Asset Management's Your Money with Danny Stewart. The market will always overshoot to the downside and to the upside. And Don Vandenborn. Because it's not how much you make in the markets, it's how much of that you can keep. Ho, ho, ho. Merry Christmas. Happy Hanukkah. Happy holidays at all. I'm Texas Claus, and I help Santa deliver his gifts. Everybody thinks he does it on his own these days still, but with the billions of people, he actually farms it out, kind of like our Amazon drivers. They don't all work for Amazon. They've got some contractors. Well, I'm here. I help him. I'm actually his second cousin, twice removed, one generation down on his mother's side. And uh, you know, I'm non-denominational myself. He must be Catholic because he's got a whole slew of kids, got a big <laughs> extended family, and he likes to keep it in-house. He still wants to have some quality control, so he so he asks his his family members to help out. I'm in the middle of the move from the Texas Hill Country in Bernie Kerrville area because the real estate prices got so damn high. So I moved out to uh, west, uh, west, far west Texas in the uh, uh, Big Bend, Texas state uh, uh, national park. Not that, not the federal park, but the state park. Less regulations. Anyway, uh, so I moved out here, and that's why I've, I'm in my my my. I just came off the deer lease, got some hunting, but I still have my 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 Christmas pants that I wear. My wife, Mrs. Texas Claus, only lets me wear these a couple times a year during Christmas because they're so obnoxious. I can't wear them the rest of the year. I think they're charming. I think they're wonderful. I'd wear them every year. They're very warm. That's right. Uh, you can't wear them during the summer in Texas, but they're great, great for the winter. Anyway, um, um, we're going to get right into markets here pretty soon. But before I begin, remember, for Revere clients, speaking of gifts, you're going to be getting a gift in the mail this next week before Christmas. Oh, so yeah. keep out on the lookout. Now, um, uh, it looks like the Fed, Powell, got dovish, and he's going to give a Santa Claus rally to the markets, or at least it appears so. It's, we got another week to go. But instead of a lump of coal, we might get the Santa Claus rally. Now, you may want the lump of coal. Have you seen the prices of coal lately? You may want a bunch of lumps of coals in your stocking. Anyway, the grand poobah that is Powell, the Fed royalty came out and said not only did he get all dovey, he said that he may actually lower rates. He was open to the idea of lowering rates next year. Quite frankly, I think Santa, I think Santa came by by the North Pole and grabbed him by the collar and said, man, it's Christmas. What are you, a Grinch? Anyway, things are starting to look up in the markets. The breadth is getting bigger. Everything is looking, starting to look good, right? Are you waiting for the other shoe to drop? Not yet. Anyway, before I forget, there is no podcast next week. I'm uh, uh, Danny Stewart, the CEO of Revere Asset, decided to give the the, the team at Revere uh, a, a little bit of, of peace time, not have to get there. We're still going to be managing money, still watching clients' portfolios. We're just not going to do the, the podcast this week. We'll still do one before the end of the year, a New Year's Eve podcast, but nothing the week of Christmas. And by the way, Don is actually going to go up and see family. And so he's going to take a hiatus for a couple of days for the daily market insight video. So no, no market insight, probably Monday and Tuesday and possibly even Wednesday, but we'll see. But keep in tune. All right. Now, 
let's get a little bit of house cleaning before I forget. Uh, I did put some articles in the mail in the in the show notes, and uh, uh, one article was three uh, estate planning tips you must do before the year end, folks. If you haven't already done it yet, it's too late. With the exception of maybe the annual gifting, currently seventeen thousand for you wealthy people. The seventeen, the husband and wife can do it twice, so you get seventeen twice, thirty-four thousand. If you're trying to do some estate planning, um, then there's also a thing about spousal inherited IRA beneficiary IRAs or spousal IRAs when the first spouse dies, the best way to do that. And oh boy, the return of the alternative minimum tax. Ouch. We got away with that under the Trump tax uh, cuts, but it looks like they may be coming back. Uh, Liz Ann Saunders from Schwab expects more volatility, rolling recessions, contango, but stay the course. Uh, nothing to see here, folks. She says that every article. Um, JP Morgan is pulling their robo-advisor amid weak demand. So I guess everybody doesn't want a robot managing their or a Terminator managing their money. And then my personal favorite, the CFP, board, the Financial Planning Board says advisors need more time to phase in the fiduciary rule where they don't have any conflicts of interest and only represent you. Folks, they need more time to make those big commissions and those long surrender penalties. And, uh, oh, by the way, I did it over 25 years ago. Revere Assets, a, a fee-based only fiduciary advisor with no conflicts of interest. We never had conflicts of interest ever since I founded in 2010. Who's your advisor and how does he get paid? Just a question. All right, enough said. Let's get right down to the markets, but I do want to talk about a couple of articles. I want to kind of set the table. So um, um, we do have a couple articles that are good and are interesting that you might want to read. And one um, um, is talking about Gundlach sees the highest junk bond defaults of all time. And that if you still own some junk bonds or high yield bonds, you've got a great time to get out of them. They're at huge premiums right now. Uh, uh, they're at high prices because interest rates have dropped. Now, if he's right, that's some great, if you're doing long-term asset allocation. But here's the thing that I love that he said. Uh, he said, uh, one thing, Social Security system will exhaust in nine years. And he said, it's no longer your grandchildren's problem. It's your problem. That's a great quote. Anyway, uh, the junk bonds are 387 points above the T-bill, the spread, the Treasury bill, spread. He's worried that's going to widen and they're going to come down. Um, basically, he said that the, 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 uh, the good news is that most the, the Treasury market has to roll over about 52 percent of their bonds in the next couple of years. So think about that. The government has to roll over half of all of their $30 trillion of debt from 2 3 4% interest rate over to 6 7 or whatever their interest rate is, or better than prime, obviously, but it's still going to be much higher. And how is that interest expense going to struggle? Uh, I mean, affect uh, yields. Now, the one thing he did say is that junk bonds, only 8% mature in the next couple of years, but after that, that's when the tidal wave's gonna come for junk bonds. So that's why you can get ahead of the curve and you may be able to get out while prices are still high. Um, by the way, in, what's the old joke on Wall Street? What's the difference between a high yield bond and a junk bond? Nothing. 
It's just whether the broker's trying to sell you the bond, in which case it's a high yield bond. If he's tr if you transferred in, because see, in, in the brokerage business, in the commission-based business, the non-fiduciary business, where he's a salesman, it's not the investment business, it's the changing of the investment business. So he doesn't get paid unless he sells all your stuff immediately and buys all his stuff because he gets paid on the stuff that he buys. It's about the products. It's not about strategy. So when you transfer in, he gets rid of all your stuff and then he buys his stuff. So when he's trying to get you to sell your stuff, then it's a junk bond. It's a risky bond. It's a junk bond. There's no difference between a high yield bond and a junk bond. But the main thing is when is it time to buy and when is it time to sell? Because timing is everything, whether it's short-term, mid-term, or even long-term. Dunlock is a little bit longer term, but his econ I like his economics because he is very sharp and he is, uh, he is spot on. Now, um, the biggest question though, because he did raise lower rates, or not lower rates, he paused and he's saying, look, inflation looks like it's coming down, it's under control, and he took a decidedly dovish stance so now economists are saying, well, it looks like a soft landing, mild recession, or we may even miss the recession altogether. I personally don't hold that view. But regardless, here's the big thing. PEs, priced earnings, are at around 22%. We'll talk about this a little bit more. Are at 22 times earnings. 23, that's very high. That's very lofty. Okay? So... Earnings really have to catch up, meaning increase. These pro corporate profits really have to catch up or prices have to come down because the mean is way below 22, 23. So is the market overvalued fundamentally? I would say probably so by most metrics. But technically, it's setting up and it looks like a rip-snorting rally. If you really want to do some research, go look at how long the market stays up when PEs are at 22 and 23. It doesn't mean the markets can't go up and can't go up significantly. Remember the 1998, 99, and then up till March of 2000, right before the tech wreck? You had a 30, 40, 50, 60, 70% run, boom. And then these stocks rolled over and they rolled over hard. That's why it's important to have rules to know when you buy and when to sell. We've got one mailbag this week and then we're gonna go straight to the guys. Um, um, this is on yes, uh, December 14th. Uh, Dan, what are your thoughts on TLT? Seems to be going up. This is from FC, by the way. Seems to be going up lately with everyone thinking interest rates have topped and will be going down. FC. Me. Yes, it appears to be bu a bullish environment for TLT, meaning bonds. But it also means that's a great environment for stocks. When rates drop, bonds do well. Stocks generally do much better. Regardless, we are tracking all of these assets, including bonds. Merry Christmas. Folks, remember we've done some shows when we show you that Newsweek or, or Barron's or, or Wall Street Journal have, oh, it's time to own these things or it's time to sell, and they top tick or bottom tick. They call the top or bottom, right? Remember at the end of last year how all the articles were coming out saying 60-40 is dead because bonds had their two their worst year in history. They've actually had the two bad years back to back. 
So that's why they've gotten killed because interest rates were, were bonds had peaked out and interest rates had dropped and all of a sudden they started rising and you got all these big losses. Well, now they're telling you the 60-40 portfolio is dead. And I'd say if you're an asset allocator longer term, rates are peaking. Bonds are actually the 60-40. If you're going to do that type of thing is actually a, this is the timely time to do that type of thing versus uh, like, and, and that's when all the articles are saying it's dead. Don't listen to the media. You are the cattle. They're the roper. They're delivering you to market. Do not listen to the, to the sell-side research. You need buy-side research only that op only represents you and is your fiduciary, like Santa Claus and Texas Claus. They've got your back. So with that, let's go to Don and find out what the markets are actually telling us, because it doesn't matter what Revere thinks. What does the market think, Don? Correct, and it doesn't matter. Let's... Uh... That uh, TLT run also uh, highlights one of the fallacies uh, of Wall Street, and that's that bonds and stocks should move in opposite directions to uh, cushion your portfolio. They they fell in 2022 uh, when we were in a bear market, and they're rising now when we're in a bull market. So uh, that wouldn't have cushioned your fall down, and it certainly is... Uh, benefiting you on the way up but that's that's not how stocks and bonds are sold curiously but uh, yeah. like you said uh, falling interest rates are uh, typically better for stocks let's go to the S&P 500 and I've got three inflection points marked here and they were all bullish and they continue to follow through to the upside the first one was the O'Neill follow-through day back on November 1st and 2nd the second one was on 1114 with the CPI uh, report. We had a big gap up and follow through to the upside. And the third one was Wednesday uh, when Jay Powell came out very dovish, uh, talk, even talking about the fact that they're planning on three cuts in 2024. That's actually two less than the market has priced in, but uh, he pretty much uh, kind of said mission accomplished as far as fighting inflation goes. And the market is really... Uh, had taken off to the upside and is holding the gains. That's uh, the most important thing. Uh, one thing we uh, I do want to point out is that yesterday morning, Thursday morning, we had two pieces of economic data that were better than expected, and the market rallied on that. And that's also uh, a change. And we're, we may be back to, instead of good news being bad news, we may be good news is good news, because now we're talking about uh, he mentioned that he did not have a recession in his base case. Uh, the Atlanta Fed just upped their GD 0.6% for the quarter. That's not uh, recessionary. Uh, maybe maybe some people are looking at it into 2024, but everybody that's called for a recession all throughout this year has been dead wrong. And uh, stocks are benefiting from this. And until that changes, we'll continue to be very long in our portfolios, as always with stops for everything that we buy. And uh, you know, the, our strategy is called grow protection for a reason. We grow assets when the wind is at our back and we prim when the wind is in our face. And right now it's firmly at our back. All right, Don. Well, that was a great synopsis. Um, um, what are you, so let me ask you a question because the, 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 now 
I know. See, because clients and, and, and pro people that, that, that talk to us, people that are interested, are kind of asking, and, and they always want to know, well, well, how long will it go? They always want to try to forecast and extrapolate. How much longer do you think this will go, or how, much can, how long can it last? We've got no idea. We don't, that's why we have rules to measure. The market will overshoot both to the upside and the downside. It will go further and longer than you expect, and it will, including the hedge fund guys. And it will go, it will sell off harder and faster than you expect. And that's one other thing you got to realize: the market, the, the old adage on Wall Street, it's an escalator up and an elevator down. The market sells off two and a half to three times faster than it goes up. So, and so, and especially during crisis events or bear market events, when it happens, it happens quickly within a few weeks, and you've got to be ready quickly with rules established in place. So you've already have predetermined rules that you know is going to happen so that you want to have your strategy already firmly in place and developed like you're drinking cocktails on the beach and relaxed, not when bullets are whizzing over your head and you're in a foxhole. You already want to have it established when it, when it hits the fan. If you haven't already figured that out, because what happens is people get emotional and they freeze. They freeze and they hope, well, I'll just wait one more day. I'll just wait one more day. And you wait one more day and Bob's your uncle and you're down 15% already. And then, you, then you're too scared and then all of a sudden you're down 25%. Well, now, uh, you know, that's why you got to do it. You got to be decisive about it. So anyway, uh, Don, uh, what do the guys have today? Let's start with Ted. Teddy 10 charts. We had a request for that. He's actually condensed them into five. Uh, we got some, got a lot of nice data he's getting ready uh, to present here. So Ted, you want to take it away with you? Yep. Thanks, Don. So this week I wanted to condense similarly themed charts into one photo. So we're just not bombarding you with 10, 11, 12 charts. Um, this week was definitely a significant change in the macro picture fundamentals, as well as the techno picture, even more so. Um, what I want have here on the screen is the equal weighted versus the non-equal weighted S&P 500 and NASDAQ. Um, I'm using the QQQs as the NASDAQ proxy. So the top chart is the S&P comparison. And as you can see here, we've had this tight linear uh, downtrend with the equal weighted over the S&P, which means that the non-equal weighted has been outperforming for extended period of time. And recently we've seen a clear character change. If you were to just imagine a downtrend line across those peaks, as well as even the, in the volume picture as well. You see all those green, and that signifies pocket pivots. It's just a wall of green right now. Um, same thing with the NASDAQ. We I actually have that drawn for you. Um, we broke that downtrend line, and we're seeing huge volume coming in. And this is indicative of breadth expansion. And Don, if you're to pull up the next couple charts, it's just another um, example or evidence that breath is expanding significantly after this week. And so what I have on the screen is, is a mid cap MDY and the small caps IWM versus the S&P 500. And as you can see, it's a similar picture as the ones before. We had a tight uh, linear downtrend. We broke that downtrend line and had enormous volume just flowing into this. We've seen multiple gap of pocket pivots and pocket pivots. Um, Don, if you could pull up MarketSmith now, just wanted to quickly show three quick charts and then I'll get on to the next breath charts and then sentiment. Um, All right. Another, I guess, indicator of risk on are the high yield 
ET, uh, high yield charts or ETFs, and then the corporate bonds. So HYG, uh, JNK, and LQD. And if you could just show those for a couple seconds, you can just see there's clear character change um, above 200, above all moving averages, just trending along that eight EMA with huge volume on updates. Yep, so here's JNK, HYG and JNK are the high yield or junk bond ETFs. And then the final one will be the corporate bond ETF. Definitely an uptrend, no Perfect. question about it. Yeah, 100%. And now if to pull up the next couple of charts, that's the P500 and NASDAQ net highs and lows. It, this has been a significant char uh, character change this week after, I guess you can call it a Fed quote unquote pivot, but we still haven't uh, cut rates yet, but the tone has definitely changed in Powell's uh, question and answer session. And see right here, we've had the greatest net high reading of this entire bear market and this 2023 rally upward. And that just shows us that stocks are finally participating and making new highs, dragging this market higher. And it's not just the MAG7 participating, holding the markets up. And this is, this is a very, very good sign for us. Continue on, I have the NASI. Although we've seen very, very great action in the last four weeks, we've pretty much vertically went straight up the RS line as well at the very top. And we've been pegged in that 90 plus territory. Although that's a short-term cautionary sign for us, the more we stay up here, the, the better, the better indication that this rally will persist and will turn into an even stronger bull market. And then finally, I've condensed the three major breath charts or sentiment charts, the AAII, the CNN fear and greed, and then the NAIIM into one picture. So we can just talk about it together. Uh, CNN fear and greed is on the more extreme sides of the greed territory and close to heading into extreme greed. The NAIIM or NAAIM is above 80 or just a little below 80 after this week, which is near that overbought territory. So a lot of money managers are in the markets. And then finally, the AAII has been trending at greater than 40% for a few weeks in a row. And this week we just went above 50%. So these are some short-term kind of contrarian indicators for us to maybe not add as much more exposure, trim some stocks in the strength, which we have done and just wait for these new tight setups to form. All right, good stuff, Ted. Definitely need to uh, pay attention to uh, if the NAAIM would get up near that 100 level, that would really get my attention. I'm uh, not as concerned as much about us being uh, in the 51% bullish level for AAII because of how strong uh, the rally is. But last time in July, we got this high on NAAIM when it got over 100, wasn't, that rally wasn't as strong as this one. So uh, sometimes you have to back off sentiment a bit. Uh, it, they are secondary indicators for a reason. It's the price and volume action of the major indexes that we uh, pay more attention to.
Hang on, Don. All right, Don, let's so, send it over so, to Don. Hang on, let me let me add one thing. So the gold, the real gold nugget in there, the main meat of that for the for the non-stock nerd, for the person that's not more the retail investor that's that doesn't quite understand all those charts is what Ted was saying is that the equal weighted where every stock in the S&P 500, all 500 stocks are one 500th weight versus the regular S&P, Microsoft, Tesla, Apple, and just a few stocks basically control what that thing is going to do every day. The 400 of the 450 of the stocks could be down, and if just a couple of the big bellwethers are up, the S&P can be up. And what he was showing you was that the equal weighted is actually stronger than the pure index itself, showing you that mid caps and small caps and across the board is getting stronger. It's not just the Magnificent Seven. It's not just those big seven stocks that it was just a week, a month ago, a month and a half ago when it was just the big seven. Now you've got participation all over the place. That's what is so bullish. Okay, Don. All right, Connor's got a couple of charts to bring up. And we're going to start off with the IWM, which is a small cap, Russell 2000 index. Yep. Thanks, Don. Yeah, so today I wanted to talk about a saying that um, it's the, the bigger the base, the higher in space. And so what does this mean? Well, basically when you see a stock, an ETF, or a group, and they're forming long bases with a clear defined resistance, along with a clear defined support, and it's just moving in a channel. Uh, these formations can lead to big moves because when price gets compressed in a range for so long, well, eventually it's gonna break in one side or the other. And I've got three examples today to show you what uh, some of these big bases look like and what to look out for. So if you look at the IWM weekly, we can see we can see the clearly defined uh, range uh, base. Um, it's been it's been bouncing back and forth between 160 and 200 for um, for over a year now, and so there's a lot of pent up pent up demand in this spot. Um, this is the fourth time it's now testing the upper uh, spot of this range, and it held most recently on that that back test the lower end of the range. So. What we're looking for is we want to see a breakout above 200 um, that would confirm the breakout out of this base. And you, you always have to be cautious of failed breakouts and failed moves. But testing this the fourth time, um, more times than not, it will resolve higher. So, And these big bases can lead to big moves because price has been compressed for so long. And once it finally is able to get out um, with volume, it can lead to big moves. And if we go to CCJ, this is another great example of a big base and how powerful the breakout can be when it finally starts to go. So when we look at the weekly on CCJ from April 2022 to May 2023, CCJ was trading in a well-defined range. Uh, 20 was the lower end of the range and 30 was the upper end of the range. And as you can see, it started to build higher lows and it got super tight below that 30 level and when it finally decided to break out this led into a 65 percent move to the upside so like i said when when a stock is in a base for quite some time if the breakout is real it can lead to big moves and now you can see on this weekly if, if you've been tuning in with the daily videos and with our portfolio changes this is in grow and 
now it's setting up a smaller little weekly base, which is just a great spot to add on for continuation. And then the last example is Snowflake. This, this got, you know, interest rate sensitive name. It got hurt in the bear market, but on the weekly, again, same thing. Look how it's been going sideways and it's been holding that 120 to 140 spot and it's a clear defined box formation range. And 200 is the upper end of the range. And as you can see, it's, it's trying to break out of this today and see if it can get some volume above with the RS line confirming. And another thing with these bases, um, why the third or fourth time sometimes gives you a better probability of a breakout is what Don's pointing to right now, the volume. But when you also look at the moving averages, the other times the moving averages weren't linear, they were still wide and loose. But now it's different. When you look at all the moving averages, they're very tight and they're getting compressed. And that sometimes can hint as, you know, this is gearing up for a breakout or a move of it as it goes up into the upper end of the range. And there's there's plenty of other examples um, that that show this, the big bases. So it's good to keep an eye out and see how these follow through because certainly there's a lot of there's been a lot of trading in, in these ranges. So it'll be interesting to see moving forward how these names resolve. If they get rejected at the upper end of the range or they can resolve higher. Yeah, CCJ, uh, number, it's the fourth largest position of individual names in Grotection. Snow is the largest. And IWM, we own uh, UWM, which is a two times ETF on that. We've got a big position, uh, well, about a 6% equivalent position uh, in that also. So uh, bigger the base, the higher in space. We, uh, we espouse to that and coming out a nice daily cup and handle pattern right now with good volume patterns on the daily and weekly on snow. Um, as always, our stops in place. We like how it's been riding the eight-day exponential moving average higher. Good stuff, Connor. Let's take it over to Mike now. Yep. So speaking of bases, I'm going to be revisiting copper today and talk about a few charts there and give a little summary again on the fundamentals and specifically talk about FCX. But just before I get into that, I wanted to revisit something that Dan mentioned earlier about the market and the, the PE and what that, what that means. And as Dan correctly said, in order for that PE to come down from these elevated levels, you've got to see corporate profits really increase. Now, one of the most mean reverting series in economics is after-tax corporate profits as a percentage of GDP. Now, what that means is that it historically always reverts to a mean level when you get extended to the upside or the downside. Now, if you look at where we are in terms of after-tax corporate profits as a percentage of GDP, we're at 11%, which is historically in the highest ranges it's it's really ever been and the mean reverting level for that is seven percent so if you are expecting that a multiple is going to come down so the pe is going to come down because corporate profits are going to rise you would have to see a massive expansion in gdp that would be that would really be the only way to accomplish that so 
when you are pricing in an expensive market, it's because market participants, and it is very possible, believe that there's going to be a massive expansion in GDP. So that's something you definitely got to look for and uh, be, be aware of. So now going into commodities and specifically copper. So if you've ever heard about commodities and what it can do for your portfolio, and your asset managers talk about it as a portfolio diversifier, you know, something interesting, and there's no, I don't think there's any real answer. There's been a lot of studies on this and a lot of research, but it's, it's sort of a chicken or the egg kind of situation. It's when you're thinking of it for diversification and as a hedge against inflation, is it, and this is just a thought for, for our viewers to ponder, is it the price of commodities increasing that causes inflation or is it inflation that causes the price of commodities to go up? And all, all consumer goods, everything you touch, no matter what it is, involves commodities. So as prices go up of these commodities, things become more expensive. But then if it's a hedge against inflation, it's, oh, because inflation's going up, that you think these commodities are going to rise. So it's kind of interesting. What comes first? No one really knows. Um, so now specifically getting into copper, I've already spoken about the supply shortage several times. Um, basically, 700 million tons of total copper have been produced in the course of human history. So going back thousands of years, that's all the copper that's been mined so far in the entire world. Now, in order to reach net zero by 2050, so this doesn't include other infrastructure, this doesn't include data centers, this is just for net zero, you're going to need 1.4 billion tons of copper, total copper. So you're going to have to double the amount of copper that's ever been mined. And roughly in the last 3,000 years, you're going to have to double it over the next 27 years. And where that gets very difficult is you've got to think about, okay, where is that supply going to come from? And the problem with copper specifically, unlike other markets, is that it's something called supply inelastic. And what that means when something is supply inelastic, it means that when you've got this lack of supply, it doesn't incentivize new supply. New supply can't just come on the market to fill in that gap because you've got regulation and you've got just the fact that it takes at least a decade for a new mine to come online. And it's extremely labor intensive. It's extremely capital intensive. These projects take forever. So the only thing that can really incentivize more production and more supply of copper would be higher prices because the way that these companies, so there's something called resources and reserves and Freeport, for example, they've got copper that they've already mined and it's sitting in stockpiles and then they can extract more and more copper from resources that they've already mined. And that's how they can get some more copper. But in order for there to be actually more supply, we already know that supply. For there to be more supply coming online, if prices go up, then it becomes economically feasible for these companies to extract more copper out of the ground. So the only way that you're going to get more, it's called reserves or resources, is with a higher price. So that's the supply-demand issue. 
it's it's really staring us in the face. It's going to happen by 2025. Um, we're going to run into issues, but the market in general, the market is pretty short term. And with things like copper that are very economically sensitive, because you're seeing a slowdown in China, because there were concerns about the U.S. market entering recession, the market isn't isn't able to to forecast five years out. They can see this supply issue happening, but it's not going to be reflected in the price until it's like very very immediate. So in the short term, you'll see a lot of volatility in the price of copper because it's reflecting these near term headwinds. But as you get further and further into the future, this supply imbalance will will really there, there's. I, as far as I can see, and as far as the experts I've listened to talking about, and as far as every producer, Freeport being the largest producer in the world of copper, their management, uh, everyone that knows anything about copper says that, that there, there's going to be a supply shortage. So They call uh, that a short squeeze, Mike. There's going to be a short squeeze. You're going to get squeezed because there's not enough supply, and it's going to make prices really go up. Yeah. And if prices don't go up, then we're going to run out of copper and it's going to be impossible <laughs> to reach net zero because you need copper for that. So I don't know what governments are planning. Um, they always figure something out, right? So so we'll see if they do. But where you need to be careful now, if you want to play copper, the reason why I go for a company and I really like Freeport is because they're the best in class. They are the largest producer. They've got the most reserves and the most resources. So if the price of copper takes three or four years to really increase materially in price, uh, cop, uh, Freeport can withstand that. And the reason why that's important is because a lot of these junior miners, what happens is if the price doesn't go up, and as I said, they can't increase their reserves, well, if they continue mining the reserves they already have, eventually they're gonna run out and that'll be reflected in the price. So even though the price of copper could slightly trickle higher a lot of these companies their stock price could actually go way lower because stock prices are based on future earnings and future cash flows so if these companies can't add to their reserves because the price isn't high enough for it to be economically feasible for them to add to their stockpiles well they're going to run out of resources and that's what happens with oil and gas companies as well you can see when the price of oil goes up if companies aren't exploring and adding to their to their reserves the stock price can actually go down and they can underperform. So that's something to be careful of as well. And then also something I would I would avoid doing. So there's something called contango and backwardation. And just very briefly, contango is a situation where if you look at the futures curve, so you look at the prices of the commodity going out into the future and look at the different months in the contract, contango is where you've got an upward sloping curve. So as futures go, as you go further and further into the future, the price is higher. And what that shows is a very, very tight supply because they're expecting that the price of the commodity will be higher in the future due to these supply demand imbalances. Yeah, so so if you want to play a copper ETF, you want to either play an ETF that owns the, the spot, the physical commodity, or an ETF that holds these producers but you don't want to play an ETF that holds futures because what happens is in a situation where you have contango, basically the futures price is higher than the spot price by definition. That's what contango means. 
So as these contracts mature and you get closer and closer to expiration, the futures price and the spot price will converge. So you'll actually have a decrease in that futures price and it'll come down to the spot price. So you'll have negative carry on those futures contracts and you'll slowly lose money, which is why often you'll see that a commodity will be doing really well, but an ETF that holds these futures contracts could be underperforming. So like the natural gas ETF, I think it's UNG, it holds futures contracts, it well underperforms the commodity because because of these different dynamics in the futures market. So that's something to to definitely be aware of. Yeah, it costs and money to roll the contracts forward. Got. It caught you gotta reset the and roll the contracts forward. So it costs money. Yeah. All right. Well, listen, thanks, but that was all. Hey, listen, folks, and we, Mark, uh, uh, Mike talked about this, about copper setting up uh, in the, in the, uh, about three months ago, four months ago. We also talked about uranium and natural gas. Fundamentally, they were setting up. And then if you can line them up with the technicals, you, 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 it really helps your research. But these uh, commodities are volatile. One thing I would be looking for if, for people that look for, like income ideas are stocks that pay dividends or have cash flows because you've got a commodity bond if you're still worried about the economy or inflation, or you simply want something that you think there's a supply-demand imbalance like uh, uh, copper. And by the way, there's a lot. They call it Dr. Copper in the markets because the old adage on Wall Street, so goes copper. So go copper is a very good indicator of industrial production because copper is used in a lot of industrial production. Gold, not so much. Gold's not an industrial metal. Silver, a little bit. But copper is a huge industrial metal. And so it's very much tied to the manufacturing cycle. All right, Michael, Don, back to you. One other uh, mention on copper as well, you know, we, we went with the bigger the space, the bigger the base, the higher in space uh, theme. That's what we're looking at with copper too. This is about a year long base that it's forming in. And uh, if you think copper can't really have relative strength and run, look at this run that it went on back in uh, 2020 into early 2021. It went from $6 up to about five and then has really just gone sideways since then. So the relative strength uh, can really kick in if copper comes comes in favor. That's going to wrap it from the chart side. Dan, you can take us home. Thank you very much. And by the way, uh, folks, Michael dives pretty deep on the fundamentals. For somebody that really likes fundamentals and doing research, economic and fundamental research, and you need some help diving into the numbers of a company, if you want someone to help you really di dissect companies' numbers, Michael Ramos is your man. He eats that stuff up, loves it. All right, folks, listen, if you like what you heard, please tell a friend, tell a neighbor, send them to revereasset.com up in the right-hand corner of the real estate on the on the monitor. There's a subscribe button. They can just put in their name and their email. We're not going to spam them or hassle them. It's up to them to reach out to us, but they'll get this podcast delivered in their inbox as soon as it's sent out on the newsletter. But if you subscribe to our YouTube channel, Revere Asset, just go to YouTube and look for Revere Asset. You'll get it out probably before the market closes that day because we normally tape in the morning and then Zach produces it uh, uh, in about an 
uh, hour and then it's out and you'll normally have it by one o'clock or so. Speaking of Zach, that was an awesome new intro he did. How did you, let's give uh, yeah. Zach a big clap. That was awesome, Zach. Whoa. Um, yeah. Played on the way out. There you go. All right. And and anyway, oh, that was a good reminder. I was reminding, hey, you got to remember. Anyway, if you, uh, if you if you like what you heard, please tell them. And also, there's a contact button next to the subscribe button. And they can that that sends an email directly to me if you want a stock you want talked about on the on the on the podcast and the radio, or if you just want an economic idea or you just want a complimentary portfolio review. We are a fiduciary. We've always been a fiduciary. We have no conflicts of interest. And more importantly we eat our own cooking so when yacht wants some yahoo on cnbc says i don't own it my wife doesn't own it my company doesn't own it but you should own it it's the greatest thing since sliced bread damn it i want him to have some skin in the game if he's telling me to buy it here at revere don and i the principals of the firm we own the exact same stuff you do are we we are in grotection that's how that's how much faith we have in it in any event have a happy and Merry Christmas and a happy Hanukkah, whatever you celebrate. Um, um, you can email any of us, Dan at RevereAsset.com, Don at RevereAsset.com, Michael, Ted, or Connor at RevereAsset.com. And you can always, always, always call us old school at 855-REAL-WEALTH. We'll talk to you after Christmas on your money. It's not about how much you made in the markets. It's how much of that you can keep. Your Money Radio podcast covers general topics and investment ideas for research. It is for educational and entertainment purposes only and is not meant to be investment advice. If you want or need investment advice, contact your own advisors or reach out to Revere Asset Management for individual investment advice. For more information, just go to revereasset.com.